Yes, and a water bottle. Could you, could you thank Linda and Warren for and Alice? Not doing anything. Fair dinkum for yeah. dressing me this morning. Yeah. Just talk amongst yourselves for a little bit. How's that? Tell you what, let's take that off. Do you think that's the issue, that it's hanging on my belt? Shorting on the what? The metal of my belt. Good morning, everyone. Let's close in free. <laughs> we'll rebuke that brother. It's nice to be back with you. Um, we have been back now two weeks and jet lag is certainly decreasing. Um, Rhonda is back at work and is functioning quite normally, but she's quicker than I am. I was sick a couple of days this week. I picked up some sort of tummy bug, some sort of gastric thing, and so that knocked me out for a couple of days. And I've since heard that there are many other people who've been affected by it as well. What that meant was it delayed certainly my preparations for this morning's message, so I'm just going to waffle and then close in prayer. <laughs> we... I'm going to try and not walk into that a third time. <laughs> Yesterday was a lovely day. Tom Ford and Joy Lomas were married. Many of you will know Tom, obviously, the Ford family. Um, and that was a, a great wedding. It was up in the foothills of Somerset Dam, Dundas. Took about an hour, an hour and a bit to get there. And it's a beautiful area if you haven't been up there. I'd never been up there before. And then the reception was up there last night. And that just went on and on and on. And I'm thinking, I've got to get home and finish this message. And by the time I got home, I was so tired, I thought, I'll get up at five o'clock this morning. <clears throat> so I did. <laughs> and wrote what I have in front of me. I trust God will be very good. We're going to read God's word. And then we're going to pray. And then we're going to... Listen to what God might say to each one of us through this passage, but also through this series. Next Sunday is also, while we start the series on prayer this week, the Lord's Prayer, then it's uh, going to have a break next week. We have one week, then a break on, um, we have Compassion Sunday next Sunday in all of our services, and then we finish off with five services straight, looking at the Lord's Prayer, looking at the issue of prayer. That'll take us all through October, November, up to our Christmas series and season. This is a very famous passage and we've certainly looked at it and I'm sure you've read it many times. It contains great truths for us that are certainly worth memorising and revisiting. This is from Matthew chapter 6. This is the Lord Jesus speaking to his disciples but with a very large crowd listening in. He's talking about all sorts of things and in this passage he's talking about prayer. He says to his disciples and when you pray don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received what they wanted, their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. And then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you, will give you what you want. 
And when you pray, don't keep babbling on like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And that's the end of the passage, but the tas- our text also goes on for the next two verses. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. May the Lord speak to us yet again through his word. Let's pray and ask him to do so. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for sending Jesus and thank you for the gift of your spirit. And again, Lord, we ask that your spirit might take your words, teach us more about Jesus, and this morning reveal more of yourself to us and that you might motivate us, teach us, help us to improve in this whole issue of prayer, that we might be effective as we follow the Lord Jesus. We ask this in his name. And everybody said, Amen. So, as I said, this is a series we begin today, goes for the next six, seven weeks. And so if you're not in a small group, it's a great opportunity for you, even for that short period of time, six, seven weeks, to join a small group. If you'd like to do that, if you're not in one, then simply write it on one of the cards uh, in your bulletins or somewhere around the place and give that to Pastor David and we'll organise. We'll start some new groups just for this occasion. If you are in a life group, then there is certainly a life group leaders meeting coming up. I think it's the end of the month. Um, And there is incredibly very helpful resources um, on the internet, videos to each of these talks, each of these sessions and series, Um, cheat sheets, I think they're calling them, which is an outline of each study. But if you are a life group leader, let me commend to you that there is a leader's guide published on that internet site with all of the videos and stuff. Download the leader's guide and read it. It's about nine, ten pages of reading. It's very well written. It's very helpful and very challenging. It'll outline certainly the series, but it'll also give great quotes and challenging statements about prayer. I certainly was very impressed with it and excited to read that before we began this series. The reality is, of course, for all of us, we're all on different places when it comes to prayer, isn't it? I dare say for most of us, myself included, prayer is a challenge. I want to be better at prayer. I've always wanted to be better at prayer. I've wanted to be better at prayer for 40 years. And I go in fits and starts. I have great seasons and I have weak seasons. And I'm not alone. I think most of us will need and could help and value a little help. Hence this series. There are some of us who are just simply prayer warriors. And for you, you're just gifted at it, you're brilliant at it, you're terrific to pray with because you are so good at it. And so for you, this may be a helpful series and you may scratch your head and wonder why it's so hard for the rest of us. Um, Well, I'm sure you'll have other areas of your life where you struggle, where we don't, so there. 
course, this is the one thing that's recorded for us in the New Testament that the disciples asked Jesus. Of all of the things they could ask him, the one that's recorded is, Lord, can you teach us to pray when they had seen him pray? Can you teach us to pray? And of course, Jesus did. And that's when he gives them in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, in that context, when the question is asked, gives them the Lord's Prayer. And so the Lord's Prayer is something for us not simply to a model to follow, which is what we're going to do in this series, but it is also a prayer to pray, to repeat, to say and to use as an outline for prayer. And we're going to do that. Those disciples that asked Jesus, Lord, can you teach us to pray? Those prayer weaklings, if we can call them that, became mighty prayer warriors when you read through the book of Acts. People were delivered from prison, people got healed, people were raised from the dead, house shook when they gathered together to pray. They became a prayer phenomenon. And just as Jesus taught them, so he certainly does want to teach us. So over the next seven weeks, let's make this a priority for us, just like it was a priority for the Lord Jesus. Apparently, there were 17 times in the New Testament, in the Gospels, where it's recorded that Jesus was praying. He either went alone by himself, got up early in the morning, spent 40 days in prayer, prayed before he chose the apostles, prayed in the garden before he went to Calvary. 17 occasions where Jesus is recorded as praying. So too it should be for us, and we know it ought to be a priority for us as Christians, just simply because if we follow the example of the Lord Jesus or obey his teaching or the commands of the New Testament, we're instructed and commanded to pray. But it's also the example throughout church history that whenever God has moved powerfully, whenever churches have grown significantly, when people have been lost, uh, lost people have been won into the kingdom, that's because God's people have been praying. What does uh, Chronicles say? If my people, called by my name, humble themselves, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, pour out a blessing. God at work in the world is somehow linked with prayer. It's a bit of a mystery, but it's a reality. To the point where even John Wesley could make the comment that God does nothing except in answer to prayer. Not sure how that stacks up theologically, but it's certainly challenging. And it also helps explain those unusual experiences where you get woken up in the middle of the night and the spirit prompting you, pray about this, pray about this. Maybe you've had those experiences as well. It's God prompting his people to pray in order for him to be able to act and work in this world. Not sure. I read this during the week and it stopped me in my tracks. Before there was sin in the world, back in the Garden of Eden, Adam walking in the cool of the evening with God, and then I assume also Adam and Eve walking with God in the cool of the evening, before sin, there's a conversation with God, there's prayer. What did they talk about? Well, we're not told. But it's interesting, isn't it? Prayer is not just for us in this fallen world. Prayer is part, it's the foundation, in fact, of our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Three things I want to do this morning, and one of the things is to talk about an emphasis, which is certainly challenging, and that is that when we pray, we ought to begin with adoration. We ought to begin with praise. 
It's not mandatory, it's not obligatory, it's not you must or you're breaking the rules, but rather it's a normal, helpful practice that we ought to normally begin with praise, adoration. It's what Jesus does here in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Adoration and praise, and that's what we're going to focus on this morning. So as we work our way through some of this, I want you to be thinking with me that prayer, this aspect of prayer, adoration, praise, thanksgiving, is the only sort of prayer which is going to continue into eternity. A bit like back in the Garden of Eden before sin. Because in the kingdom of heaven, in glory, when Jesus has returned, we won't be praying, your kingdom come. It would have come. We won't be praying, your will be done. It'll be being done. We won't be praying, give us this day our daily bread. Because we don't eat in heaven. Yeah, now you won't think about anything else that I say in this message. <laughs> or maybe we do eat in heaven. But you won't have to ask for it because it'll be abundantly provided. You won't have to ask God to forgive you for your sins. Done and dusted, gone. No temptation, evil's taken care of. The only part of the Lord's Prayer that continues into eternity is, Our Father, hallowed be your name. Glorify your name throughout the universe. And so it's to become the front door of prayer for us as we enter into prayer. But as I said, it's a guideline, it's a helpful indication. So this is the series that we're about to jump into. Let's have a look at this Lord's Prayer and let me say the first two things. One, let me talk about our Father in heaven and let me talk a little bit, secondly, about hallowed be your name. And then thirdly, I want to get on to this issue of should we, ought we, to begin our prayer times with praise, adoration, thanksgiving. And I'll give you some reasons and let's see how you go. Our Father who is in heaven. So not our earthly fathers, our heavenly father. Jesus encourages us to address our prayer to. And this, of course, is New Testament revelation. I think from memory, I didn't check this, but I'm just going from memory. I think about four times in the Old Testament, God is referred to as father. Something like that. It's a very small number. But when Jesus comes... The references to God as being a father are just exponential, just grows incredibly. That's because back in Judaism, it was thought inappropriate to be so familiar with God. God was separated, God was in the temple, he was behind the curtain, only the high priest could go in once a year, he was aloof, he was transcendent, he was distant. He was holy and to be feared. That's true. And Jesus comes and says, while that's true, he is also approachable and loving and wants to redeem and reconcile you and bring you into a relationship with himself. I'll never forget when I was in a very small Baptist church whose name can remain nameless, but it was in the town of Juni. You can figure out what the name of the Baptist church was. Was that me? 
And I'm teaching on this and calling God Father, which in the New Testament has a Greek word or an Aramaic word, and that is Abba, which means? It's the word that a small child would call their father. Papa, Pop, Da, Dad, Daddy. It's that level of easy to pronounce for a child, but indicating also closeness of relationship and intimacy. And Jesus uses that word, Aramaic word, to talk to his father and invites us to do the same, to call God our father. Sovereign Lord, Almighty One, all of those are true, but father is about intimacy of relationship. Respectful, but intimacy of relationship. And I'll never forget a farmer's wife sitting near the front. And when I said, Jesus accepts invites us to call God an intimate fatherly term. Dad. Papa. Coming from the heart. And I can't, I'll never forget her turning to her husband and in a whisper that I could hear, which she didn't know probably that I could hear, she turned to him and said, that's disgusting. Because her concept of God is of the Old Testament one is, aloof and holy and to be feared and respected and she hadn't grasped the intimacy of what Jesus is inviting his disciples in fact to come into to call God our father it's the heavenly father who sends the son in order to redeem and to adopt us into his family that we are his children his sons and daughters when we are born again and forgiven for our sin we become children of God. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 6, 4 to 7, says this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children. Because you are children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, removed and distant, but a child. And if a child, then also an heir through God. It's wonderful, isn't it? This truth that Jesus is indicating when he's teaching his disciples about prayer. Our Father in heaven. You can only call him our Father if you know him through the person of the Lord Jesus. While it's true that God is the Father of all in terms of he's the creator of all, you can only call him Father if you know him personally through Jesus. There are two kingdoms in this world, the kingdom of Jesus and the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of darkness. And remember the occasion that his Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, came to Jesus one time and said something about their father? And Jesus said, you belong to your father, the devil. They didn't have a father in heaven whom they knew or acknowledged or were adopted by. They still belong to the kingdom of darkness and rebellion against him. And beautifully, in John chapter 17, verse 23, the Lord Jesus is praying and he says, um, he's praying this prayer, in order that the world might know that you have loved them, the disciples, even as you have loved me. Now, that's an incredible thought. 
that the Heavenly Father, in this intimate, eternal relationship with the Spirit and with the Son, loves us with that same love. We have been brought into the inner circle of God's family. We are privileged and precious in his sight. And the evil one knows that. So do the angels. We need to know that and embrace that as we journey in this life. Because he is our, because he is our father, therefore we have access to him. Because he is our father, he is attentive to us. He listens to us and he's watching us. He's mindful of us. And because he is our father, we can call him father. Jesus called him father all of the time except once. When was the one time Jesus didn't call God father? On the cross when he said, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? See, the Father talks about this relationship. It's when Jesus took sin upon himself and was therefore separated, estranged from the Father. This horrible experience of separation, which he did for us in order to reconcile us. The only time he didn't call him Father. When we pray, the Lord Jesus says to us, we should address him as our Father. Our plural father which suggests that we're praying together when we say he is the best father why is God the best father well because he's perfect he's perfectly good because he's wise he knows all things because he's loving and because he is amazingly resourceful he's filthy rich he can transform us he can reform us he can help us to improve and he never dies he never leaves us some of us have had really loving terrific earthly fathers and some of us haven't but our heavenly father is the best father for all those reasons because we are his children by redemption and by adoption therefore we have an inheritance we have an identity or in fact we are made superior even to the holy angels Peter tells us they peer and watch what's going on. How could this be happening in such frail creatures? And they're amazed at the goodness of God. And they fall down and worship. Well, because he is our Heavenly Father, this is what we should do. We should honour him, respect and have awe for him. Malachi chapter 1 verse 6, God complains. He says, as a father has honour, where is my honour? God complains to the people of Malachi's day. We should honour him. We should trust him. We should love him. And we should love to be near him. We should learn from him. Listening to him and obeying him. We should receive his correction submissively. Being corrected and disciplined by him. We should go to the throne of grace with confidence. We should claim all of his promises to us. And we ought to resemble him. Mimic him become more like him in the person of Jesus. Just as he is kind, just as he is merciful, just as he is forgiving, so our Heavenly Father wants us as his children to resemble the family image. So therefore let us behave ourselves as children of such a Father, our Father who is in heaven. All of these truths come 
reflectively flooding in. Let's depend on him to supply us. I'm not sure where you're at. Is that what you need? He's your loving Heavenly Father. Depend on him. Submit patiently to his will. Obey him. And just like he as if he loves all of his children, so let us, like him, love all of his children. Loving one another. Well, that's the title to the prayer that Jesus gives. Then there, there is the first petition. And people argue how they divide it up, whether it's six or seven. It doesn't particularly matter. The first petition is, hallowed be your name. The language is old and very removed from our secular society but theologically deep and profound. Hallowed means set apart, different, holy, to be revered and honoured. Hallowed be your name. Let your name be like that, we're asking. And interestingly, just to preempt my third point, Jesus, this is the first petition that Jesus gives his disciples. So this is to be preferred before all the other petitions. Hallowed be your name. This adoration is first cab off the rank. It's the opening door. Psalm 100 talks about enter his courts with praise. Begin with praise. Well, what is God's name that we are to hallow? It's anything by which he is known. His attributes, his deeds, what the scriptures teach us about him. How do we hallow him? Here are 12 quick ways. When, when we profess his name in worship, in conversion and in baptism. Secondly, when we appreciate and esteem him, when he is our supreme in our thoughts and in our affections, we're hallowing him. Thirdly, when we trust him, when we trust God, we are in fact honouring him hallowing him setting him apart as you're very different to everybody else you are fully reliable and believable when we love him when we obey him number six when we identify with him and are prepared to suffer for his name we honor and hallow his name when we give the same honour to the Son and to the Spirit as we do to the Father, the Scripture teaches us that's hallowing his name. Number eight, when we speak up for his truth, when we pass on and communicate, our Heavenly Father teaches this. We are honouring him, hallowing him. When we evangelise others with the gospel of the Lord Jesus and help them join his family, that they too can honour him. Evangelism sanctifies his name. When we prefer his honour before any other of our dearest things, before our dearest relationships, when I love him before I love my wife or my children or my grandchildren or my best friends and on and on and on. Him first then I am hallowing his name. And then, of course, as he says, to love him, then you will be loving others. But him first. We honour him before all others. Not just relationships, but all possessions. Give that up and trust me. We hallow him. 
Number 11, we hallow him by our holy conversations, by the way we speak. Of him, to him, about him, with one another. His will, his words, his ways, the way we talk. We honour him. People notice. So therefore, number 12, to hallow him. Let's get a deeper sounder knowledge of him and of his, of his excellencies. Let's study his word and think about what this is telling us about him. Work our way through the Psalms one at a time and listen. What is this teaching me about God? Many people, of course, dishonour him, dishonour his name out in the community. But let us be a people who honour his name and live as those who honour his name. And let the renown of God's name then spread throughout the earth through the influence of God's people, that others might come into a saving relationship through Jesus with a loving Heavenly Father, where they too will call on his name and honour him. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let's learn to begin our prayers with adoration. Not absolutely always, though that's what Bill Heibel says. It is absolutely essential to begin prayer with adoration, Heibel's writes. The language is a bit too strong for me, but I don't know all things. I'm still learning and he's much further down the road than I am. And that's certainly him writing of his own experience. But certainly the example of Jesus and his instructions here, the Psalms, often begin with adoration. The Psalms don't only begin with adoration. They might begin with a complaint or with a confession, but they will end up with adoration. That's part of the prayer. I think that's fair. Hybels gives four reasons why we should put adoration at the beginning. See what you think. Number one, he says we should begin prayer with adoration. Hallowed be your name. Honouring and praising and thanking him. Because it sets the tone for the entire prayer, he says. It reminds us whom we are addressing, whose presence we enter, whose attention we seek and gain. He writes, often our problems, our needs or our trials can reduce prayer to a wish list, a grocery list. But when we begin with praise and adoration, we slow down. We refocus our attention on whom we're talking to. And that's a very helpful thing to do. It sets the tone for our time of talking with God. What do you think? Do you agree? Disagree? Not sure? Secondly, adoration reminds us of God's identity and of his inclination. As we begin prayer and as we think about his attributes or an attribute, his character, his personality, then we are reinforcing our understanding of who he is and what he's like. The fact that he is omnipotent, all-powerful, reminds us that he's able to help no matter what our situation is. He is omniscient. He knows all things. Nothing is confusing or catches him by surprise. There's nothing he's unsure about. It's all wise. That he's omnipresent. Wherever I am, he's with us. We're never alone. He never abandons us. He is faithful, righteous, just, merciful, gracious. He is forgiving and he is unchanging. That's why we should begin with adoration because it reminds us of who he is, his identity and his inclination towards us. 
Number three, he says, adoration prepares us, the one who is praying. Something happens in us when we intentionally begin with adoration, with praise. Softens the spirit. Agendas might change. Burning issues that are really hassling us can suddenly not be so desperate because we've changed our focus on the goodness and greatness of God. Timothy Keller on this point tells a story of a lady who gives a testimony because one time Timothy Keller had said that we should begin all of our prayer with adoration and she took him seriously. And she started putting that into her practice and one day, several months later, she comes back and she testifies to him, I've been doing what you said and it has transformed my prayer life. She testifies, she says, when I begin with adoration, um, I should begin with adoration because when I don't, it's like I rush into my Heavenly Father's presence. I've got my request, I've got my needs, I've got my burdens, and all I experience then is an increasing in my anxiety and a sense of my burdens. I'm focusing on them. And she says, what I've found is that when I go to God's and talk to our Heavenly Father, spend time talking to Him, when I remind myself how good He is, how wise He is, how sovereign and in control He is, how He has answered previous prayers, and suddenly... When I talk about my needs and my burdens, they're in a different context. The adoration modifies the petition. Keller illustrates it like this. If we pray out of fear or anxiety, and there's nothing wrong with doing so, the psalmists do, and is our loving Heavenly Father who wants to talk to us. This is just about... What's a helpful way of having that conversation? Keller writes, if we pray out of fear, God, help me at work. And your administrator prays that prayer on a daily basis. God, help me at work. Keep praying for Pete. I don't know if he's here this morning. He was at the wedding. He's probably home in bed asleep. He is settling in and doing a great job. Keep praying for him. God, help me at work. Or, instead of praying out of fear and frustration, pray out of faith. And it's, Lord, you put me here. You have good plans for me. You've prepared works for me to do. And then it's, assist me at work. Do you see how it changes the context? Changes the worldview? Changes the perspective? What do you reckon? Prayer first with adoration? Fourthly and finally, Hybels writes that God is worthy of adoration, as we've already listed. He loves us and he watches over us. He gives good gifts. He is, ma- he is amazing and he is worthy, therefore, of our praise, adoration, our worship, our thanksgiving. So therefore, we should normally begin with prayer, begin prayer with adoration, normally. Take it and think about it. Finally, how? How do we do this? It's one thing to say that we should. Well, here are some suggestions. Think about God's attributes. Pen and paper. Take the letter A. And then think of everything you can think about God that begins with the letter A. And make your own list. Almighty. You can go through the whole alphabet. 
Let me know when you get to X which one you put down. There are lots of these lists available in backs of other books, but I'm not saying that. I'm saying make your own list. Create in your own prayer journal. And add to it as you read through the scriptures. And then pick one of those attributes before you begin your prayer and say, okay, today I'm going to begin and focus on God's eternity. I'm going to meditate on that, think about that. And as I begin, I'm going to talk about my Heavenly Father, the Eternal One. And see how that influences and affects my prayer. C.S. Lewis, I think it was, who said, secondly, take the opportunity to change the way we think about the things that we enjoy in life, the pleasures that we have, and we have many of them. And Lewis challenges us that whenever you have a pleasurable experience, see it as an opportunity, as a, a channel or a shaft of light going to glory. Turn your pleasures into praise. Not just in terms of thanking God, though that's appropriate, whether it's a mountain view or it's delicious food or it's a good book or it's a lovely piece of music or a song that you like or hear or it's a, an incredibly helpful conversation that you've had. These pleasures that God gives us is not just thinking, but think about, Lewis says, what kind of a God gives pleasures like this on a daily basis. How good is he? And use the pleasures of our normal life experiences and use them as channels to adore and to thank and to praise him. I think that's a great idea. Third, if you don't do this, it'll be difficult, but it's worth starting and like learning anything new, it's like disciplining yourself and you'll get better as you go along is write them out. Write out your prayers. Write down and think about how you would pray a prayer. And having written it, then turn it into a prayer. That's how the Psalms come to be written. Fourthly, read. I like to read. Read the Psalms. Read the New Testament prayers. Read books on prayer. Read books of prayer to get ideas, to stimulation of helping you to formulate your words of how you would praise and honour God and adore him. And finally, commit yourself to doing this Alpha course. Do it in your life groups. Do it at home with a couple. But in the Alpha course, one of the suggestions they give is this, that you set the alarm on your phone or on your watch, if you have a watch, and set it for a time throughout the day when it will beep and go off. And it will remind you, wherever you are and whatever you're doing, to pause and to pray. And to begin with adoration. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then see where that takes you as you think about that. And if you draw a blank, your kingdom come. Into the situation I'm in right now. Your will be done. And take these opportunities throughout the day to turn our attentions to him and to praise him. I finish with a quote from a guy called Peter Gregg who wrote a book, God on Mute. He says this, think about this. Your prayer life is at its best when you pray small prayers continually rather than big prayers occasionally. 
Your prayer life is at its best when you pray small prayers continually rather than big prayers occasionally. Think about it and see what God says to you through all of that. I welcome your feedback. I certainly encourage your engagement. Let's take the challenge to focus upon prayer over the next seven days. We're going to pray and we'll pray the Lord's Prayer together in a moment. Let's pray. Lord, you are our loving Heavenly Father. Passionately care about us. Provide for us. And Lord, you're wonderful, amazing, worthy of whatever superlatives or words we use to adore and to praise and to thank. Lord, teach us to pray like Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And so now we pray the disciples' prayer as Jesus taught. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you, everybody.